good morning, everybody. Um, my, uh, I, I, I don't know if he said my name or what, or, but my name is Travis Tyler, a.k.a. Thizzle. Uh, I am a rap artist and um, a speaker. I have a tagline when I go on my Twitter rants, which I do often. So if you follow me on social media, you probably already know that. I don't talk about music at all, which is strange. But um, when I go on my Twitter rants and I end them, my, my tagline is, hey, but what do I know? I'm just a rapper. You know what I'm saying? You came to follow me for music, and now you get my opinion on social media, uh, social justice, God, and everything else, right? So um, I'm going to raise this up. Um, I want to talk today, I, th I think I got like 40 minutes, but I want to talk about um, something that I always see when dealing with um, social injustice. So what I'm going to do first is pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would bring uh, clarity to uh, my words and every word that's spoken today, that uh, we would be informed, but we would also see the grace in what's being said. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would season my words uh, with grace and love, because sometimes talking about hard things um, they, they just, it doesn't matter how you say them, they, they come out and they, they land in, a, in the wrong place. I also pray, God, that you would, um, that you would just, you know, give us a heart to receive these words for what they are and let us see, you know, how these things affect people all around us. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. Amen. Um. So, one of the main things I see when uh, dealing with social injustice is, so I'm going to say some things right now in this little layout that for those of you that don't know me, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, right? So, if I start saying words like white people, don't think I'm being racist and pointing at you, Okay. If I say something like them or they, don't think I'm being ignorant because I'm not. I'm not racist. I don't hate white people. I love all people. And um, by the grace of God, I managed to escape that being born a certain way. So let me give you background. Something cool. Well, it's cool now, right? But it wasn't cool then. So most people didn't know this, and I didn't even really trip off of it until I started working on this album that I was doing, and uh, I started researching, like, different things and looking at different stuff, and um, it's probably, like, two, three years ago, and I, I started, oh, and I talk very Ebonic. So if I say something you don't understand, like, be like, hey, what does that mean? I got you, right? So... When I start tripping off stuff, that doesn't mean I'm tripping, like, you know, off drugs, right? 
So when I start tripping off certain things, uh, how I grew up, it caused me to land at a certain point that I hadn't really never paid attention to. I was actually born on a plantation. Like, I know that sounds crazy, right? Like, I, I'm not like 100 years old. So I was born on a plantation. My family moved off of a plantation. Um, the majority of my family that still lived there, they moved off of the plantation in like 1987. So I moved to St. Louis when I was two years old. But every summer, I would go to Saint, I would go to Mississippi, a place called Minna City, Mississippi, and I would play on a plantation. And so one summer uh, in particular, right before they moved, I was young, like seven, some eight years old. And I went down there and my cousin, so this is crazy, I never tripped off this growing up, right? So my cousin, he was older than me, probably like 13. And so I, I looked up to him. I wanted to hang around him all the time. And my cousin was making money. So I would see him coming in the house on Fridays and Saturdays with this money. So I'm like, where are you getting this money from? And he was like, I'm chopping cotton. So in my eight-year-old brain, I don't understand that, right? So I say, oh, I'm about to chop me some cotton too, can I? He was like, you got to ask grandma. So I was down there with my great-grandmother, and she called my grandmother and asked my, she said, you got to ask your grandmother, my grandmother, Man, I've never, my grandmother never yelled at me that bad in my life. And her exact words to me were, if somebody tell me you touch some cotton, I'm going to whoop your butt, right? She said, I pick cotton, my children pick cotton, my grandson will never touch cotton in his life. That's why I moved you from down there. And so that was a part of my life that I never really understood growing up because I was so young, I didn't even trip off of it. But my whole, my, my mother, my mother picked cotton, all of her siblings, my grandmother and my grandfather. Like that was the entire, uh, that was their existence in Mississippi when they lived there up, to, up until the point that they all moved. When my grandfather moved, he was still working for the guy that owned the land uh, in Mississippi. So when I think about my life and I think about social justice, it's always, I know it's the grace of God that I landed on the gracious side of social justice because I just love people. And part of the reason that I feel like I did because poverty growing up, I grew up in Mississippi, in St. Louis in a situation where I lived in a low income neighborhood. So poverty was something that made me see all people as equal because my white friends and my um, Hispanic friends and all of my friends around me, they were all suffering from the same things that I was suffering from. We were all struggling together. And so it made me see people as equal for what they were. So one of the things that I always see a problem with when we talk about social justice uh, and racism uh, in America now is the framing in which people think, right? So the lens that you think through, that you see through, or what you have lived through, it's going to affect the way that you see the world, the way that you were taught history, right? So I remember growing up in school, man, and uh, early on, like, everything about Martin Luther King was always glorious, right? It was like, 
Martin Luther King, he had a dream. And you're like, yes, I had a dream too. You're like, yes, this is amazing. So you're going through the history books. Martin Luther King had a dream. This was amazing. You don't even really trip off how he died because it's, it's framed so well to make it look like here's a great American hero. He lived and died to set people free. It's never highlighted who he fought, why he was fighting. It was always he had a dream, right? Also, when we look at, um, I remember growing up and reading in the history books uh, about Native Americans. It was always framed so well that it was like, yo, this is amazing. Like they made turkey and they sat down and ate and it's like, this is incredible. Then you watch Charlie Brown, right? On, on Thanksgiving, like the Charlie Brown special. And they're dancing, the little feet are moving fast. You know what I'm saying? The Charlie Brown, and he like, Patty, sit around. And now they all sit down with the Native Americans and they eat turkey. And it's like, yes, this is amazing. So when you grow up and history is framed a certain way to us, it's, there's no doubt in my mind the reason why some of us think the way that we do and aren't willing to entertain certain conversations because one, we've been indoctrinated. Like we've been indoctrinated with a, an aspect of history that didn't allow us to see the era of our country or anything that was going on. So don't take this the wrong way, right? So I'm using this as an example, right? Which is funny. I'm gonna tell you another part of it. So when we heard the slogan, right, make America great again, right, as a black man, right, just being honest. So here's the funny part before I go into that. I got this shirt that says never on the front, right, but on the back it says stop showing love. So it's like never stop showing love, but everybody sees it. Y'all know what they think, right, instantly. It's like never Trump. So I got on the plane yesterday. And the dude was like, hey, what does that never mean? Like real loud. And this lady said, oh, don't open that can of worms. I was like, I was like, no, that's not what it means. You never stop showing love, right? So when you think of make America great again, a lot of people couldn't understand based off of the frame or the framing in which the way that we were raised and thought why African-American people or Native American people would even have one problem with that slogan, right? And I'm not saying the slogan in itself was had ill intent. I'm not saying it at all. But I'm trying to, the thing I want to try to help us grasp today is why we think the way we think, right? So think about this. <clears throat> June 11, 1776, right? We got the Declaration of Independence. We hold the truths to be told these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? This is pre, like, beginning America, right? But think about that time in history and where were African-American people when this was written. We were slaves. But here we have a declaration that's saying all men are created equal, but we were considered to be less than human on paper, like animals. We were property. 
Fast forward, right? You fast forward to 1831. You have Nat Turner leading a, a rebellion because he found truth in the scripture that the Bible was more in his favor to make him free than it was to keep him a slave. So you, fact, so you look at the 1830s in general. It marked the era of the beginning of the uh, abolitionist movement. So you have Christians and you have people that are saying, no, I see this is wrong. We need to fight it. But then you fast forward to 1863. We have the Emancipation Proclamation, so which was signed by uh, President Abraham Lincoln. Then you fast forward to 1865. We have the end of the Civil War, but then you fast forward to 1892, we have the Pledge of Allegiance that says there is liberty and justice for all, but after all of these different movements, all of these different people, white and black, fighting for the freedom of uh, American black slaves, we make it to the Pledge of Allegiance and liberty and justice for all still doesn't exist for all. So you, we, we fast forward, I got a couple more. Well, I actually got one more. We fast forward to 1954 through 68, we have the Civil Rights Movement, right? The Civil Rights Movement ends because Martin Luther King, the leader of the Civil Rights Movement, is assassinated because he is black, right? All of those different periods in history, somebody can go back and say, this was a great time for America, right? But on the flip side, you'll have Native Americans, you'll have African Americans, you'll have Irish Americans, and, and several other different groups of people saying, this was the worst period of history. So we always have to look and see in, in those periods of history, there were two different things being lived out. One group of people was prospering. Another group of people were perishing and being punished strictly on the basis of their skin color, right? So that slogan in and of itself, there's a reason why people buck up against it, right? So when we look, this, this will always make us think different. So, growing up, like I said, I, I, I never really put into, I never had a really serious thought about why Native American people felt a certain way. Even with slavery for me, I'm going to be honest. It was presented to us so well in history books that it almost made me as a young child feel like it wasn't that bad until I was old enough to start hearing about it from my grandmother and different people. At school, it was like, just, it's all right. Now we even have, and some of this stuff is intentional. We know that. We even have history books now, like uh, Texas, where they are looking to um, X out the parts of slavery, and they they have a new passage that's written that says slaves came over from Africa looking for, in pursuit of a better way of life. This is a true story. You can look it up. So think about the framing that the kids, the children being educated under that 
will have 10, 15 years from now. When someone comes to them and says, slavery was bad, and they're like, no, slaves came over looking for a better way of life. And it's like, how can you believe that? Because I've been indoctrinated to see and think so, right? It's one of the same reasons why a lot of people right now today in this day don't see an issue with what's happening in Standing Rock, South Dakota. Because history has taught us that Native Americans and the pilgrims got together and ate turkey. And that was it. But we see a history uh, of genocide and, 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 and the, the taking of land and all of these things. But we will never understand it from that aspect because we're taught different. One of my friends, uh, love him to death, amazing dude, loves people, all of that, right? But his framing in the way that he thinks, I, I just told him flat out to his face. I said, bro, you're, you're indoctrinated by American history. Because when we started talking about Native Americans, he said, bro, everybody's taking land from somebody. And I was like, do you think that makes it okay? I was like, what makes that okay? It's just the way in the world. Everybody's done it. Every country. I said, but we're talking about us. But his framing doesn't allow him to see that. So one of, another thing inside of uh, social injustice, and the reason I, I think this is the most important part, um, the reason why I'm talking about it, because if we can't understand why the other person thinks the way that they do, we will never be able to move into a real conversation and have a, a empathy you know, and sympathy for their situation and able to offer up an honest, you know, uh, uh, concern. So this is why I wanted to talk about this part. So another thing is the unspoken. So I believe that there is an unspoken reason why, and here comes one of the words, why most white Americans have a real hard time even talking about slavery. Black people have a hard time talking about it as well. I know a lot of older black people have a hard time talking about slavery, civil rights movement, uh, Jim Crow, et cetera, on through. I think there's a real unspoken that some people may have thought about that people have a hard time. I'm going to show a picture. I didn't go too intense, but here's one of them. Here's a picture. Let me show one. So look at this picture, right? What's the first thing we think about in the picture? What's the first thing that grabs your attention and make you say, oh, man, anybody, take a shot at it. His face and what else? Yeah, that's him, okay, yeah. We need you to leave. I'm just playing, I'm just playing, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not fighting back. Who else got something? Take a shot. There's no wrong answer. He's about to get a knee. That's the first thing I thought when I first saw it. Who else got something? Then I'm going to answer. Anybody? Take a shot. One of y'all are thinking what I'm about to say. Watch. That's one of the things. This is what's significant about that, though. 
we look at history, one of the reasons why I believe it's so hard for most white Americans to talk about the injustice of people of color in America is because there are two things happening in this picture that one is never publicly brought out. That man right there that's holding Martin Luther King and that man that's holding Martin Luther King, that's somebody's father, grandfather, uncle, cousin, brother, and that reality kicks in. When you talk about it's not that hard for some of us, when you think back to the civil rights movement, well, none of us look that old. Well, some of us may be, but old is a good thing. Older is good. So when you think back to the civil rights movement, there are people still alive that know what they were doing when it was happening. There are people still alive that know what their uncle was doing when it was happening. Their grandfather. Think about this. People have stumbled through their family memorabilia and found pictures like this that were taken by their family. I heard somebody ask a question and say, and it blew my mind. I'm going to be honest. I was like, I never thought about that. I heard somebody ask a question and say, where are all the KKK robes at? What did they do with them? Are they in somebody's basement? Like put up? Like did they burn them? Did they throw them away? Think about the people that have been going through their family stuff and find that kind of stuff. So one of the unspoken hard reasons to talk about it is because even though I didn't do it, even though I'm not guilty of doing this, I, I had no hand in it at all, and I don't feel this way. I'm not a racist. I love all people. My granddaddy, he did this. When you see the pictures of the, the civil rights movement, one of the most iconic, and I started to put it up too, but I forgot. One of the most iconic pictures is when schools, the segregation was separated, right? And um, I always forget her name. The first, uh, um, the African-American woman went to school. If you go look at the picture, don't look at her. Don't look at her. Walking, guards around her. Look at the faces of the people in the crowd. That's somebody's grandmother, sister, cousin, and I can't. Prime example with me, growing up in the hood, right? I grew up in the streets doing all kind of crazy stuff. I had friends that will do anything. I had cousins that would do anything. They, they were drug dealers. They would shoot, stab, whatever you want to call it. People always wonder why in the hood, people are willing to protect those people when they do wrong stuff. The mother whose son just killed somebody, she's like, my son didn't do that. And she's willing to protect him and hide him from the police. It isn't because she just hates the police and she hates the system or she hates the law. She loves her son. So for when we see this, and this is my grandfather, 
not technically mine, but even though I know he was wrong, he was a racist, he was this type of person, he wasn't that at family reunions. He wasn't that at dinner. He wasn't that when I spent the night on the weekend. So I have a hard time wrestling through that. That's one of the reasons why it's hard for us to speak about it. Another one is, which I encourage everybody in this room to, to pray about it and, and just try to not deal with another one is guilt. Like, I don't feel like no one that didn't have any part to do with any of those things should feel any type of guilt. I, I'm going to go even further. As a believer, there were people that were involved in that stuff that have since repented their sins, that have since not lived that type of life no more. And as the scriptures say, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. They shouldn't feel any type of guilt about it. But especially the people that are growing up in our age generation had nothing to do with that. You should not feel guilt about it. I don't care how many people you knew that that was their reality. We can't change the past. Our job is to focus on the future and the present. So a lot of people, there's another thing, and then I'm going to go to some, to some, some positive ways that we, uh, especially as the church, can deal with um, uh, social injustice, right? So a lot of people, too, one of the, one of the biggest questions um, or the biggest comments that, that come up is like, well, why now? Why is all of this happening now? Like, why? Like, so, please. I'm going to give you a few phrases to never say also. Let it go. Please don't say let it go. When people say let it go, all of my Christianity in me be like, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, man, I'll pray for you. Because my brain is saying do not engage them in this conversation because this is not going to go well. So let it go is like me telling a person that's a victim of anything. Man, let it go. You know, the reality is, and we're going to this, don't say let it go. Oh, I saw one lady uh, when Ferguson was happening. <laughs> Please never say this ever in your life. So I saw one lady when Ferguson was happening. They were doing a protest, and they put the camera in her face, and she basically was like, put the camera on me, right? She said, what are you mad at us for? We gave you your freedom. I was like, did you just say that? That wasn't cool. Come here, let's talk. Don't ever say that. Those are things that are not cool, right? I don't think any of you would say that, though. So people are always saying, why now? Why protests? Why riots? Why are these things happening? One, we have to understand, me being a Christian, I, I believe biblical principles and things happen, right, a certain way. So one, we have to deal with uh, that you reap what you sow. We've reaped so many things in our country for years. And this isn't saying that great things didn't happen throughout those times. Like, I'm a firm believer that great things happen throughout those times. I'm a firm believer that America is one of the greatest nations in the world. I don't like our arrogance at times to think we are the best thing ever happened to the world. But... Great things have happened all throughout that timeline that I gave. But we've also reaped so much stuff that is being sown back 
right now to this day. So one of the things you hear, of course, is why now? Why all the racial tension? Why the protests? Why these things? This is something you have to think about, right? So for my grandfather, who still to this day has a certain reverence for white people, like that's all my grandfather knew his whole life, right? He still has a certain reverence of don't do that or don't say this type of thing, right? So think about my grandfather. He saw his grandfather, he saw his father grow up in Mississippi in the same place that I was talking about. He saw his father um, uh, probably, you know, get disciplined or whatever the case was for things that he did or didn't do right. So he passed down a certain thing to his children. So by then, my mom and my uncles and, and all of them, they've had to watch this life that their mother and father was living, and they're further away from um, a lot of the things that were happening in America. The further away we went, things got lenient, more and more lenient. And so now my mother and her brothers and sisters, they're operating under a different system. So they have a little more liberty to say, man, I don't like that. You know what I mean? But they still don't go all the way. So now they move to uh, St. Louis. Or different people move out of the South. So you have my mother and, 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 and her siblings and age group. And then you have me and my age group. We come around and we see, we hear the stories from our parents. We see the way they have a certain reverence for white people. And we see the way that uh, different things are going. And now there's an anger building up because it's like, I want to defend my mother. I want to defend my, 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 can't believe this happened to my grandfather. So now the things that are still happening throughout history, and we always tend to think that, um, Everything dropped off after the civil rights movement. Like, it was made perfect. We have to remember, Martin Luther King was in the middle of the civil rights movement, and he was murdered because he was black, and it wasn't finished. So many things were left undone, and then African-American communities went into the influx of heroin, um, the influx of crack cocaine. So it destroyed the hope that people even had to further those type of things. It was turned to drugs. It was turned to uh, over uh, sexual uh, uh, sexualization. All of these things came in and took away that that Martin Luther King idea. So now we go through the, the, the 70s, the 80s, you got gangs, drugs, all of this come in, and it shaped the way that our communities respond. But the children growing up in these communities, my age and younger, have this thing because now, even though uh, civil rights and certain laws have been reversed, there are still systems and laws being put in place to keep us in a certain place, which is reality. The Clintons came in and started mass incarceration. Young black boys with three grams of uh, crack are getting 15 years in jail while a lawyer or a doctor is caught with 10 grams of cocaine and he gets probation because of the way the law is set up. So nobody's forcing him to sell crack. Nobody's forcing him to use cocaine, but different things were put in place. A thing that we call a prison... Uh, the, the, the public school to prison pipeline, there are documented studies shown that say 
they do tests on children in third grade to determine how many schools they're going to build versus how many prisons they're going to build. So when I'm in the third grade, if you have an idea in your brain that my education is not going to go so far or it's not going to do this, you'll, you're not going to invest in my education. You're going to invest in a prison. But in return, it already has put me in a compromising situation because there aren't options growing up for me to take part in. You move into now with the prison for profit uh, system where we have a judge in Pennsylvania that was selling uh, children of minority to the jail system for five years to juvenile systems where they were doing petty crimes and he's sending them away for a year or two years. And this stuff is, is, is continuing to add to this cycle uh, of crime and poverty, you add that with redlining. Can't get can't get houses certain places. Uh, uh, poverty communities are formed. Places like Ferguson wasn't an accident. That community was shaped by gentrification. I remember when uh, we wanted to build a stadium, and we said, "Hey, they like look, we're gonna the projects. They're in the way, too close to the stadium. We'll tear the projects down. Where can we send them? Oh, cheap houses out here." Ferguson, Dalewood. I was on a city council meeting, on a meeting with people from the city council of different places, and a lady literally said when that started happening, she got a phone call from one of her friends that said, hey, you should move. This is from Ferguson, Dalewood. You should move because we're about to sweep all the trash that way, right? So these, all of these things, we're at a certain point, but things are still happening and shaping the way that people respond. And so now... The 18, 19, the 17-year-old, the 20-year-old, the 38-year-old, the 40-year-old that you see protesting and angry, it's a result of all of those years of hearing these stories, all of those years of this, and now I can finally respond. This is the first time in history, if you think about it, that people of color could protest and say stuff the way that they want to and not be beat, water hosed, killed. Some of it happening on national TV, and nobody would say nothing. So people are gonna they're gonna act out. It's like, man, I can finally say something, right? So this is why I wanted to help with the framing of like thinking through why people are doing what they're doing on both sides. How can we? jump in the middle as the church, right? Uh, even at, if you're in this room and you're a non-Christian, um, I just believe that some of these same principles can apply to you, right? So one of the things is, is identify the problem. That's one. We have to be honest about situations. Like the truth shall set you free, right? Now with the rise of... Um, I want to quote and say, uh, like the more, like more of the black militant or the the black thought of like white uh, uh, Christianity is white Jesus, right? This is rampant now. It's always have been, but after Ferguson, after different things, it's, it, it runs rapid because people were looking for a truth, right? When Ferguson happened, I remember seeing people saying, man, where's the church? Like verbally. I heard people say that the first days. Where's the church at? They were looking for the church 
to lead it. Because when you look at the civil rights movement, who was leading it? The church. So I remember the first response, where is the church, right? And when the church didn't show up as a whole, people started leading and doing what they knew to do and learning as they went. But then it opened the door for people to come in that had different intents and already had a formed idea. So they'll come in and they'll teach, you know, the separatist thoughts. So white man's Jesus and Christianity not for us and this. And so when people land on, the, people come to me all the time, why are you a Christian? White man Jesus. They use Christianity to, you know, uh, make slaves slaves. Y'all know what I say? Not the white man Jesus. That's not true. Was Christianity used to keep slaves in order? Yeah. That doesn't destroy my gospel. It doesn't destroy my truth. But what it does destroy is their argument. Because I just said, yeah, that's true. But you know what? They were wrong. They were sinful men that misused the very thing God gave them to set you free. So we have to identify the problem. And sometimes we have to tell the truth, just the plain truth. Like, when, when people come, like now, when people come to, come, like I heard it over and over and over again. People are like, well, Jesus, this is, this is one of the biggest arguments that I see. Well, Jesus is white. Jesus is white man religion. No, but most cases, y'all know what we say? What does it matter what color Jesus is? As long as his blood was red. And I'm like, that's true. But like the sons of Issachar, when the scriptures say that they knew the times that they were living in and they knew what to do, that would have been a suffice of, answer would have sufficed years ago. But in the time that we're living in, where the reality is Christianity, or we, we could say people use the Bible to misrepresent Jesus and enslave people and destroy things, that answer doesn't suffice. And there's nothing wrong with us going into a dialogue for real and talking about it. So one, we have to identify the problem. We live in a country that had, uh, uh, that had present situations and that has, you know, current situations. We're reaping what we sown in a lot of ways. A lot of our, our, our foundation were principles and not practices. We saw that early with me talking. Liberty and justice for all. Like some people right now, I, me, myself, I could stand in this room and say, I still think that's a principle and not a practice that we fully grasped as a country. Do a lot of us hold to it? Yes, but as a whole, is it true? No. Like you... Somebody may feel that way about that same principle can apply to abortion. Is there liberty and justice for the unborn child in America? No. Is there liberty and justice for the children that are being sold to prisons? No. Is there liberty and justice, which I personally feel is one of the most broken parts of our system is their liberty and justice for the women that are being uh, raped by people like uh, a Brock Turner 
who family has money and influence and they can walk into a courtroom and, and be found guilty seen in the action doing something and you can walk into the courtroom and your father can even set his mouth to say, oh, my son, he, um, I, I hate that his life is affected uh, like this uh, over 20 minutes of action. Is there liberty and justice for the victim who said and heard that? No. So we still have these principles and these ideas, but they're not practices that we fully grasp. Another thing is we could dialogue within the church like we're doing right now. One of the first mistakes I made um, when Ferguson happened was um, we had an open dialogue with the public and the church. And it went a little haywire because you have two different mindsets present and it just was like, boom. We can dialogue within the church so that we as believers can begin to undo some of the framing that we've been taught. But at the same time, we can, as a community, talk through the things that we may disagree on. Like, everybody's fight isn't going to be, like, I'm, I'm, and I, it's crazy, I had this conversation this morning on Twitter, but I'm not for abortion any kind of way, right? But it's not my forefront fight. But if you're fighting for it, I'm not going to jump in the way of the bullet like, that's not important right now. You know what I'm saying? The same way with social injustice, the same way with um, whatever else that we're fighting for as a body, you may not feel that same passion to go at it, but it's still a fight, and sometimes we disagree in the body. So dialogue in the church will help us work through the things, especially as a local body, that we don't agree on. So when we get in public, we're not having these, these outbreaks of conversation, right? Dialogue with the community, where we can have the situations where we invite the community in, we do Q&As, we think through, and we have a controlled environment, you know? So that way, once we've dialogued and we invite them in, it isn't like one of the church members getting up like, well, what about this? You know, and now it's like, oh, my God, I got to deal with this a different way, right? We could dialogue with the community. Um, when we look at the scriptures over and over again, we see the scriptures saying that we should speak up for things. Proverbs 31, 18, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Um, Leviticus 19, 15, you should not do injustice in court. You should, be you should not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Like the scriptures not only point out the things, like things saying this is cool for you to fight for this, but it also points out in the scripture, scriptures like Leviticus 19 and 15, it makes the perfect point of what I just said about the court system and a Brock Turner. So if we're going to profess to be a Christian nation, we're going to have to go from the bottom to the top. And I think that's where the first point comes in, identifying the problem. And, and it walks on through with the dialogue and the stuff with the community. Uh, the church is called to be a city on the hill. I don't think we should turn, we definitely shouldn't turn the church into um, uh a social justice like banner of like let's just go fight everything I don't think we should do that 
Because most of the stuff that we want to fight or we have issue with, the gospel will penetrate those areas of life anyway. But there are other things that we need to be um, specific about. I'm going to make a, a last point, I think, and I'm, I'm out of my time. And I'm going to post this actual, um, the, the post of the points that I'm making, I'm going to post it on uh, Medium on my page. It's like at Thizzle, T-H-I-S-L. I figured that I should use Medium after so many Twitter rants. I was like, it'll help me get a formulated thought and not like 10, 140 uh, character snapshots. So I'll post this uh, either later on or tomorrow on my medium. It's at Thizzle, T-H-I-S-L. Um, one of the other things is we could be a bridge, especially in the age of police, um, police brutality and the community, which is not new. We saw this in, what, 92, 94 with Rodney King. You saw, you know, video, no arrest. It's, it's nothing new. But does it mean everybody's bad? No, of course. I have friends that are police that are Christians, love them to death, good people. I think the police have the same problem as the community, being honest. The police always call out to the community and say, if you want us to help solve crimes, you need to get rid of the no snitching policy so we can solve crimes. And I think if the police want every American citizen to respect them as uh, the law and order for what they're doing to protect and serve citizens, I feel like they need to do away with the same policy of no snitching because if I'm a good cop and I see a, a bad cop doing something, it only makes my job easier and better if I'm willing to take that step to say this is wrong what he did the same way we're calling for the community to do. Um, but I think the church can help bridge, some, help bridge some of that. If there are police officers in the church, uh, it'll be good to have them on panels or, or private community uh, different events. It'll be good for us to get in front of some of this stuff and be a part of, I don't know how bad you guys have the situation heard, but that's one of the things we tried to do in St. Louis was get in front of some of the stuff, have dialogue with the police, have dialogue with the community. So when these type of situations happen, it's like we have a middle ground where we can, we can pull people together. I think the church could definitely help with that. And last but not least, my favorite. Man, as the church, we need to have some social media accountability. Twitter, Facebook, one of the most hardening things to me when all of this stuff happened um, was getting online and reading Facebook comments. Like, I literally stay away from Facebook now, honestly. That personal page, I go to it, say something to my family, and I'm gone. Anything that looks crazy, I just avoid it. But I remember friends of mine tweeting me and Facebooking me when, when a lot of these situations happen, and they'll screenshot uh, somebody's tweet and their bio. Because you know in our bio, it's always like, child of God, Luke, verse number this going out proclaiming the truth to the world, lover of all men, fisher of many. And it's like, then you go tweet and be like, man, I'm glad that happened. Yeah, get them dumb immigrants out of here. You're like, oh, my God, did you just say that? And, like, my friends will screenshot it and be like, is this how Christians think? Literally, I would get texts like that. 
we have the right to agree with anything we want to. I threw the immigrant thing out there because it's hot topic. That's how the world works, right? We had a right to agree with anything we want to. But as believers in the gospel in Jesus Christ, we also have to remember that we're not just representing ourselves when we speak, but we're representing the body. We're representing our Lord. And as humans, we're representing humanity. How do we want people to turn out? If we, if we believe in something, it's okay to believe in it. It's okay to speak on it. But we, we need to have, if you see your friends on social media and they're saying something that's really, really crazy, it's okay to hit them up in private and say, hey, I do that to my friends. Like, bro, that wasn't cool. I do it all the time. It don't usually have to be the same people, but whenever one of my friends say something super crazy, hey, bro, that wasn't cool. If you're sitting around and, in private, when my friends make a joke that I feel like, and not, I'm not talking about my white friends, but if my black friends make a joke that I feel like is discrimi discrimi discriminating against white people or that is discriminating against somebody that's mentally uh, handicapped or that is discriminating against somebody about, did I say it wrong, I may have, about their gender, right? I make it my business to say, look, you may not agree with what they're saying, but that's not the way that we should handle it. And I may not agree with what you're saying, but we're not going to handle it that way. And we'll create private dialogue. So that's some of the stuff I wanted to share with y'all this morning. Like I said, um, I'm going to post this up on the thing, on my medium. Um, lastly, pray and repent, man, as believers especially, because all of us, not all of us, all of us are witnesses to this. Sometimes my heart lands on the wrong place, and I challenge myself, and I ask my friends to challenge me, and I constantly, because it's something that's so close to my heart, I constantly go to God, and I ask them to keep me as unbiased as possible. Like, I want to stay in the middle. I want to be in the middle. I, I don't, I don't want to be on either side or the other. But the things that are on that I know are wrong, a guy asked me earlier today on Twitter, he said, by the, by, the, by the last post you liked, I'm assuming that you're for abortion, right? This is like 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I'm like, bro, I said, first of all, why are you lying on me this early, right? I'm paraphrasing. I'm like, why are you lying on me this early? I'm like, because you couldn't have read what I like, you know? Two, Anybody that follows me know how I feel about abortion. Three, why are you trolling so many people starting arguments, right? But the post that he was referring to, it was a post that said, if we're going to be pro-life, and it had a picture of a child in the feet, a fetus, a child in the womb, right? And then it had another picture, the, the famous one of, of like the, the Syrian child that was laying on the beach face down. And so the post said, if we're going to be pro-life, we have to care about both, right? And I liked it because I agree. I agree 100%. That had nothing to do with abortion. It's saying if I'm going to be pro-life, 
I got to care about both. So we have to pray and repent. Second Chronicles 714, if, uh, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I believe that our generation, I'm, honest, I'm telling you honestly, I believe that our generation right now, all the ages and, and the generations to come, I believe that we are going to put a dent in, in racism that hasn't been done, that needs to be done, because we don't care about it. Like, we don't care. We see, most of us, we see people for who they are. We see people as people. We see them as people that God loves. So I, I'm, I'm trusting God and I'm believing God that passages like Second Chronicles 7.14 will become true. It will become our heart. And we want to be seen as a, a mass body of Christian people. We repent. We seek the Lord. We ask him to heal our land. And we go forth and show people the love of Jesus. But that's the stuff I wanted to share with you guys. God bless you. Appreciate you listening.